0: How just feel like I'm on the side, you? <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Today we're in the um, third part of our um, three-week mini-series of of the church, about the church, the life of the church, the birth of the church, the life of the church and the mission of the church. And today we're going to be speaking about the mission of the church. And the real fundamental question is, what, what actually is God's mission for the church? What is God's mission for the church? What are we to do as a body of... Of followers as, of, as disciples of Jesus Christ, what are we here for to do? And we're looking at mission in the sense of being followers, being followers, and and going out into the world. What we're sent out into the world to accomplish. Uh, during the week, I, um, amongst various things, I came across a, a, a high traffic—I suppose you'd call it a high traffic—internet uh, blog um, uh, website. Uh, where a gentleman was was um, being interviewed, and he was a guy um, who was a pastor at a, a, a very um, large megachurch, and uh, uh, they're probably very popular. This church, due to their high pad style of worship, and this this uh, pastor was asked, "Well, what's what is the mission of the church?" And it was interesting that he he honed in on uh, and stated that his Uh, Church's mission was for people to experience Jesus. Now, that certainly sounds really appropriate, that that people will see Jesus, but the article didn't actually say a lot about what that actually meant, what that experience was about. For example, it, it didn't touch on Jesus being crucified for our sins. There was an emphasis, however, upon feeling and upon gathering in large groups together and a focus on music. And that got me thinking and it's just worth noting some of the some of the churches across even in our region here uh and across much of the western world indeed that those churches many churches will explain their mission as being one of of being a mission of social justice in our society and with some even saying specifically that they're looking at various social matters and one even had an environmental focus now, don't get me wrong here, there's no doubt that the church certainly has a role to play in identifying injustice and, and helping to bring about God's justice to improve our society. However, we've got to ask ourselves, is that the total of our core outreach? Is, is that the total of our, our core mission to the world? And... Again, we see some other churches, some very loudly, some a bit more subtly, but see their church's mission as helping people, as many people as possible, to achieve what you could probably term a holistic fulfilment in their lives. Some teach quite overtly that God wants believers to be physically uh, healthy, materially wealthy and personally happy. But is this God's mission to be proclaimed in our world? Well... Let's look at the scriptures and let's open up what uh, was read today about what the Bible teaches about the mission that believes in Jesus, what his church are to do. And, and be honest while we're thinking through this, really be honest with yourself and think through what do you actually think that the church is called to do in our society. Moreover, what do, what do you see as your role in the calling of the church because if you really think that through how you answer that question just has an an enormous impact on your life indeed it ultimately affects everything in your life it impacts your priorities your thoughts your actions your prayers your time how you use your time what you talk about with people What you think the church is about, and indeed how you contribute to your church, how you allocate your time and spend your money. Well to answer these questions, that that question, what, what is the church called to do, what is our mission, let's go right back to essentials, right back to basics. First, why do we exist? Why did God create us as human beings? Why are, we, why are we here literally? why are we here? why am I here? why are you here? why are we here? it's a fundamental question isn't it? and the answers contained through scripture the answer to that question is, is through scripture an example would be in Isaiah 43 that highlights that we exist for God's glory now that's completely obviously contrary to what the, the world is constantly bombarding us with isn't it life Contrary to the world is not all about us, but it's all about God. It's all about God and his glory. Isaiah forty three, seven puts it so beautifully. God says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And indeed, even a little bit further on in that chapter of Isaiah, we see that our sins are forgiven. Yes, we are we are forgiven and 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 reconciled to God if we put our trust and faith in him and it's all for his that is God's own sake that is for the glory of God the westminster catechism puts it so so succinctly what is the chief end of man to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and we we glorify God in our in our worship of God and that includes also the lives we live And and we know that Jesus said we are to love God and to love others. Jesus made that very clear in the Scriptures. We are made to worship God for his glory. And it's interesting, just just to take a few moments now, to highlight some of the prominent prominent examples of worship in in the Scriptures, and particularly in Revelation. If you just think, many of you will be familiar, but you think about that, The scene in Revelation 4, where God is worshipped by the living creatures, uh, and they are saying in verse 8, "'Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come.'" So God is being worshipped there for his holiness, his greatness, his eternal nature. And God is also worshipped as the creator and sustainer. Verse 11 of that same chapter says, "'You are worthy, O Lord,' To receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And crucially, just in the next chapter on in Revelation Revelation five verse nine, just want to read that too, where crucially Jesus the Lamb is worshipped. They they are praising the Lamb by saying, "You are worthy to take the scroll." and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to uh, to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So we are to be worshippers, to glorify God, we are to be worshippers and we worship him for who he is as we said, the Eternal One, the Holy One, the Creator and the Sustainer, and for what He has done. And that's obviously salvation through Jesus Christ's blood which redeems us, that brings us in relationship with God. And to understand more about our core mission, what, what the Church is to do, our going out into the world as a Church, we need to understand why Jesus came here to Earth, remembering that Jesus is the head of the church, as um, James talked about in, in week one, and that Jesus has all authority, but why did, why did Jesus Christ come to earth? What was his purpose? What was the mission of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being fully God, fully fully man, coming here? Well, Jesus himself gives us the answers to that question. Jesus certainly knew very clearly what his mission was all about. John 3.16 obviously is very well known and explains uh, the core. Uh, and, and verses 17 and 18 are also really, really critical actually and often aren't read out. So I'm just going to read that because it gives the basis of, of Jesus' mission. For God so loved the world, of course, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not. Sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's pretty clear from these words what Jesus' mission was about in love that he came to save, to rescue, and to give, to give eternal life. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. In short, belief in Jesus brings salvation and everlasting life. And the other side of the coin, I suppose you could call it that, so to speak, is that those who don't believe in him are already condemned, as Scripture says, because we are all sinners before a holy God, as, as Romans, uh, informs us. Jesus explains his mission in other parts of scripture as well. James read from Luke 4, uh, in which Jesus is, is, um, reading from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, which is written about 700 years, of prophesying about him, and written about 700 years before he came, and it explains his mission. And that first verse explains how Jesus is the anointed, He is anointed by, by God the Father to undertake the mission. And that mission is about preaching the gospel. It's, the words are really key here: healing, rescuing, restoring, bringing liberty, recovery. And we'll talk a little bit more about this just in a moment. But in short, and, and indeed uh, Jesus repeats his mission in Luke 19, Jesus summarises about himself that the Son of Man came to seek, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's, that's what Jesus was here for. Even Jesus' name, of course, reflects both his identity and his, and his mission, doesn't it? Jesus means Yahweh saves in effect, God saves. So that's Jesus' identity, that he is God, and his mission, that he's to save. Matthew 1.21, you'll remember, uh, tells us that the angel of the Lord said that he would be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So in summary, Jesus, who is the head and has authority over the church, came to forgive sin and to transform sinners. And our reading today from 2 Corinthians five is is really pertinent and, and reveals how Jesus forgives sin and transforms us. Two Corinthians five eighteen uh, we read the words that, that Jesus Christ reconciles us to God. That is, he saves us. It's, a, it's, it's just another word that's being used here. That he reconciles, he saves us. Uh, 2 Corinthians five eighteen says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and what did Jesus Christ do to reconcile us? What 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 was the action? What was the work? Again, consistent with the Gospels, Paul highlights in in verse twenty one of that same chapter: "For he made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him." That was done on the cross, obviously, by Jesus, the crucified. Uh, Christ and the subsequently resurrected uh, Saviour. Jesus takes our place. It's a substitution. He sacrifices his life for us and so atones for our sins. And that, of course, is a very unique message. Jesus is unique. He's fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life. He gave his life in love and mercy as, a, as a, a perfect and a complete sacrifice for our sin. He has power over death, as evidenced by his resurrection. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Acts 4.12 tells us that. Salvation is found in no one else. John 14.6 tells us that. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we can be forgiven our sins and we can be reconciled to the eternal holy God, the living God, if we repent and put our trust and faith in him. Many, of course, however, find that gospel message foolish or offensive, as the scripture says. But the apostles are very clear. They highlight, indeed, that they were eyewitnesses to Jesus being the saviour of the world. So, Jesus' mission obviously has and continues to uh, direct the mission of the church in this world. D.A. Carson uh, puts, uh, puts it quite well here. I'll read this slowly. There's a, a fair few words in it, but it's, it's very, very pertinent because it summarises it neatly. Carson says, He, Jesus, came to forgive sin and transform sinners. He founded his church as the ongoing display of his covenant people and the agent to proclaim truth and manifest his power. And he comes again to bring his sin-cleansing, life-transforming work to its completion. That is God's plan. That is the mission of Jesus. So again, as, as, as we, uh, James highlighted in the first week of, of this little mini-series, God founded the church. Uh, John, uh, Jesus, sorry, as we as we read in Ephesians one, has has that authority. Has authority is the head of the church. Jesus said he would build his church in Matthew sixteen eighteen. Ephesians two says that he is the cornerstone. And as, as Kiong explained last week, Jesus holds the hold of us, the whole structure, so to speak, together. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit from its founding in Pentecost through to us today. So, what's the mission of the church? Uh, James forwarded to me an email earlier before we started this series, which, which is a, a, a really wonderful way of putting it, just to make sure we've got the, the, the perspective, so to speak, right. Uh, it's a guy called C.J. Wright um, who puts it well. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. In other words, mission was not made for the church, the church was made for mission, God's mission. Now, the mission of the church is explained by Jesus in the Great Commission. Well-known uh, words in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And I'll read them out. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority, note that again, all authority, Jesus is has the authority over the church, and Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's God's mission for the church. It is to go. Remember, we said that Jesus' mission was to seek out uh, the lost, to go out, to seek the lost, to outreach the world. It's proclaiming the Gospel that Jesus forgives sins and transforms us for his glory. That's what we're to get involved in. In our reading at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, Paul says that as Christ has reconciled us to God he has given us the ministry of reconciliation which specifically in verse 19 is the word of reconciliation. That is, we are to proclaim the gospel and that Jesus reconciles us sinners to God. Okay, so we hear that And hopefully we understand that. But how does that actually impact you and me? Indeed, us corporately. Well, let's go through some practical things. First, who participates in the mission? Let's let's just get right back to, you know, ask ourselves, as believers in Jesus Christ, do I, do you, do we, actively function in the Great Commission? Do we actively function in the Great Commission? Do we actually seek to make disciples? N- indeed, do we love others enough? Do we really love others to do that? Are we undertaking, as as we read today, the ministry, that, that word of reconciliation? Are we, are we sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel? In our reading in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul reinforces in effect the great commission of Jesus that we are to be ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors for Christ. And he uses the words, and listen carefully to this because this is the challenge, that we are to be ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So let's just think about that because that's the challenge for us, isn't it? Is that actually front of mind for us, for you, for me? Is that our priority? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, um, the practical reality is that we tend to think perhaps some of that that core stuff is is done by the pastor or by elders. Uh, It's more their thing or perhaps those who are more disposed that way, shall we say. We... If, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we even perhaps try to excuse ourselves even to saying that we don't perhaps have the um, personality for it or that it wasn't you know really done in our family setting or our culture. Um, we sometimes justify ourselves because we undertake service in other areas of the church. Or we might say we're too young or we're at that stage of life where we're just so super busy, we'll get to it later or indeed that we're too old to do it. But the thing is, Jesus commands us. He commands all his disciples to go. And that means we undertake the message, we represent Jesus, we're ambassadors, because we are saved, because we are part of his church. So none of those other reasons come into play. They don't don't hold up, so to speak. There's no excuses, there's no exemptions. It's what we're all to do. Because like I said at the start, if, we, if we're compelled by that, we really seek to undertake Jesus' mission, then it does change everything, doesn't it? It really does change everything. Again, just to repeat, it changes about how we go about our day. It changes what we pray for. People ask, what can you pray for? There is just so much need, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. There is just so much to pray for. You know, it's amazing. If we have that as our mission, it's how we view people that changes. It's what we say that changes. What we prioritise. How we spend our time, what we do, our money, what captures our attention, how we actually approach coming to church and indeed the way we participate even in the life of the church. Where do we go? To whom? Well, Jesus tells us the answer of this that James read in in Luke four. We go to the poor. We go to the brokenhearted. We go to the captives. We go to the blind. We go to the oppressed. The most loving thing we can do is to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, and that we can undertake that that great commission to deliver that word of reconciliation. That. Jesus recovers our sight from the blindness of unbelief. But Jesus sets us free from the evil one. That Jesus deals with the problem of sin. That He sets us free. That He gives us life. And and we know from our own lives, don't we? And and certainly from the world around us, that the world is a broken place. It's a really broken place. People are really really struggling. And it's not just COVID times, that's probably exacerbated perhaps some of the struggles, but people are really struggling. Many in our society are obviously a long way from God, far from God. And as a society, we, we're, we're seeing the, the deleterious effects of that, aren't we? We're seeing it every day. People are stressed out, confused, hurting. So many are struggling. Identity, struggling with identity, for example. Meaning, meaning and purpose in life. Uh, into addictions uh, without hope. You can see that all around you. Surveys um, continually reveal that. It's quite extraordinary how survey after survey and and, and the health statistics as well actually reveal how many people are basically living without hope. So there's so much need around us and and the brutal reality of that is uh, it is literally all around us. In our, uh, and the needs are in our families, our friends, our workmates, our social contacts, our neighbors, people in our circular contacts, But God commands us to go and give the message of reconciliation, to give hope to those who are hurting and broken hearted, and we do that in love. When do we undertake the mission? When are we to be ambassadors? Well, the short answer to that is, is really simple, all the time. 2 Corinthians 5 in our reading, verse 15, it is written that those who live should, no longer, should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. So if Jesus died and rose for us, it's only fitting that we obviously live for him. Jesus gives us new life, not to live for ourselves but to live for him So how do we do it? How do we do it? By God's grace and power. We do it through his strength. 2 Corinthians 5.17 in our reading says, Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus, he changes those who come to him by faith who are in him, in Christ. But incredibly, the saved are more than forgiven. We're changed, we're regenerated into a new creation to live for him. And living as that new creation is something that God is working in us for those who put their trust and faith in him. Remember, we are ambassadors. We we, we are to represent Jesus. He gives us the words. He works in our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers us. So pray. Think about it when you pray. Do you pray for opportunities? Regularly pray for opportunities. Do you pray for ways to connect with people and those people who need Jesus? Do you pray for ongoing regeneration and maturity of yourself, myself? Do you pray for your development as being an ambassador for God? Do we pray? Do we pray for the church to be built up, to pray for each other, to be effective ambassadors, individually and and corporately, for Jesus Christ? Most significantly, do we pray for the resurrection power of Jesus to actually work in us and help us to be his ambassadors, to give that message of reconciliation with God? It's been written about ambassadors that ambassadors speak on whatever they have been commissioned to say by their king. The the ambassador speaks on what they've been commissioned to say. The ambassador is a representative who also lives to represent the king and so it is with us. And so why do we do all this? Why? Why are we ambassadors? We do it because God loved us and he reconciled us to himself, as we read in the scripture this this morning, we love him and so we do his commands. We live out the great commission for his glory, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we do um, thank you uh, that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us. Uh, that you bring us into your church, and we know that's only done through your great love and mercy. Lord, help us. Um, we pray, uh, as as we've looked at today, uh, that that we uh, individually and corporately, we will be your ambassadors to undertake your mission. That we will be reconcilers, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaiming his death and resurrection for our sins wherever we may go Lord as we as we were thinking about we live in a broken world that's the the blunt reality and we know people need you we all need you Lord help us in 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 love uh, to reach out to people uh, please help us give us the the, the opportunities uh, the words, Uh, the way to proclaim your great love, that message of Jesus Christ, that that message of reconciliation, that we can be reconciled with you, our creator, and that we can live with you in all eternity. So, Lord, we pray for um, the church, both here at um, Bethel Christian Church and also across our state and indeed across our nation. Uh, We pray for the church to be built up, Uh, that your message of of love and mercy and grace, of forgiveness, of abundant life, of eternal life, will be faithfully um, proclaimed and it will be seen in the lives of of each of your people. So, Lord, help us to, to be faithful and effective ambassadors for you. We pray that your resurrection power will work in us, as your church, for your glory. And we pray this all in and through the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.